This time, we're going to um, hand the mic over to Meg to share a testimony of her calling. Uh, this uh, ordination for us is, is really a, a double calling. It is Meg um, hearing a call from God and answering that call, and it's the church um, echoing that call and uh, making space for that call to be answered in the life of the local body and in the life of the neighborhood. And so I'd love to hear from Meg. Um, and then uh, I'll offer a, a charge to her and to us. Um, and then we'll, we'll have a chance for her to um, say her vows. Hi. <laughs> it's really weird to be, um, have quite this much attention. Um, so I'm feeling a little uncomfortable, but very loved. So I guess that's good. <laughs> um, so yeah, my calling. Uh, I, my calling to work with children happened pretty young, I think. My, my parents are both teachers, um, and I grew up in the church. I don't remember a time when I didn't know that God loved me. Um, and I don't remember a time when I didn't feel like I was part of the church, part of the body of Christ. Um, I, when I went to college, I, um, really deepened my relationship with the Lord. Um, uh, most of my friends in college and, um, including Matt, um, I made them through university and, uh, did a lot of, <laughs> I see you, Stephanie. Um, uh, and yeah, and just really learned to um, have a relationship with God that was, that was even more personal. Um, so it was in that time that I felt a real specific call to work with children. And everything I've done since then, um, whether it's been as a camp counselor or an elementary school teacher, um, a mom, uh, you know, anything I've done, um, has really been part of that calling. And I've always felt really strongly that, um, that no matter what venue I was working with children in, that, that it was my primary job to make sure that the kids in my care knew that they were loved and that they were valuable. Um, and it, it didn't matter if it was public school or, you know, Sunday school, um, that, that was the, that was the goal. Um, so, uh, yeah, I loved teaching. I loved being a teacher. Uh, I ended up taking time off when James was born and I had the opportunity to help plant Oak church. Um, and, uh, I offered to help get the children's program established. Um, and, uh, I approached it very much like a teacher because that's my training um, and it's, I love teaching. Um, and so I tried to establish like goals and objectives and, um, you know, uh, I vetted, oh gosh, I don't even want to know how many curricula I read and, and evaluated. Um, and it led to a lot of real deep thought and prayer and study about what I thought the goals of 
children's ministry should be and like why are we doing this is this just to keep the kids entertained during the service um you know what what are we trying to accomplish um and i deepened my belief that children are important and that i want kids in my care to know that they're loved and valued by god but i also realized um, that children are to be our teachers uh, and that, you know, Jesus wants us to pay attention to children and to be childlike in the way that we enter the kingdom um, and that there are things inherent to kids and the way kids are that are to be instructive to us as adults. Um, and I'm going to say this in kind of a godly play way, but um, when I realized this and I realized how important it is to listen to children and to really see children, um, I was so excited that I couldn't keep it to myself and I had to tell people. And so whether that was preaching a sermon or, um, in training for volunteers or, you know, however I could communicate it, I tried to, um, I tried to, to share with, with folks in the church that God is speaking to us through our children. And if we're not paying attention, then we're the ones who are missing out. Um, so anyway, as I'm learning all these things and uh, doing all these things kind of week in and week out, I kind of turned around after a few years and realized that I wasn't just teaching and I wasn't just running a program that that I was, I was ministering, I was pastoring. <laughs> and I, I, I was as surprised as anybody by that development. Um, but, but I couldn't deny it. Uh, it's, it's what I was doing and it was what was bringing me joy and life. Um, and so at that point I talked to Chris about, um, the possibility of ordination. Um, and it, it wasn't really about wanting to do a new thing. It was about um, making sure it, it was about, you know, sort of affirming and confirming the things that I'd already been doing um, and making sure I had all the tools that I, I needed to do it well. Um, so that's how I got here. Excellent. Thanks, Meg. Um, when, when we were planning this, I asked, I asked Maggie, it's so, it's so great when, when you're involved in planning your own ordination service because you get to pick songs and you get to pick scripture and it's a little bit of like the best of. And uh, immediately she fired back with what was a good framing scripture for her. And uh, she mentioned this portion of Psalm 68. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, exalt the one who rides the clouds. The Lord is his name, celebrate before him. Father of orphans and defender of widows is God and his holy habitation. God settles the lonely in their homes. He sets prisoners free with happiness, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. And this <clears throat> was important for Meg, I, 
I think for some reasons that are probably obvious, um, I want I want to during this time to encourage her and to to charge her to challenge and in so doing to charge and challenge us all. I think celebrations like today's are kind of peculiar. If we're not careful, we'll liken them to other common experiences that we've had, good things like graduations and promotions and the like. These are great moments and they're celebratory moments, but ordination differs because it's a little more sneaky. In some ways, like Meg mentioned, in some ways nothing changes for Meg. After all, she's been doing this work for quite some time and she, like most of us, is learning on the job. She's been equipped for this good, slow work and she'll continue in it. On the other hand, everything changes. With this anointing, this acknowledgement and agreement, this is a setting apart for this work in a more purposeful way. That can feel pretty daunting. <laughs> Meg shared with me some of the ways that this sometimes feels daunting. You might doubt that you have what it takes to fulfill what's being asked of you or declared about you. That's where this is different than a promotion or a graduation. Your ordination isn't an achievement for all the work and thought and prayer that you've been putting into this. It is a blessing upon you. Your ordination is an achievement. It is a blessing upon you. And it is for you a participation in that blessing so that you will continue in that work and bless many. This is, after all, the story of God's people. Meeting Abraham and Sarah at the time, they were Abram and Sarai. They were aged, childless wanderers, and God chose them, not because of anything they'd done, and maybe even a little bit in spite of some of their characteristics. And he chose them to bless in order to be a blessing. They were to look up to the skies and count the stars if they were even able and begin to imagine that God would work through them in a way that was so unimaginable to Sarah that God would populate this world with their faithfulness, with God's faithfulness. So when you're feeling daunted, by all means, pull a Sarah, break out that patented Meg Hoffman laugh. Uh, after all, didn't you name one of your kids' middle names, isn't it Isaac? So you have warrant to laugh, to laugh it off, right? But in this calling, you are not just being acted upon by God. You work with God. That invites you into this co-labor often in fear and in trembling. You're making vows that you only have half a clue what they might mean right now or what they might cost you. And this is why ordination is something more closely akin with baptism or, or marriage. In a moment, you'll pledge to a number of vows. You'll say, I will with God's help. That's all any of us can ask. That when God calls, we'll have the wherewithal, we'll have the ears to hear and the voice which might say, even shakily, here I am. I will, with God's help. 
like baptism, you'll seize your vocation bathed in grace and initiated into a new life where God is present and we might be able to grow into a more consistent and faithful presence to God and to our neighbors, which might bear some family resemblance. Like marriage, you are being called to bring all of yourself into this relationship, not your best self, not uh, a self that doesn't exist, but all of your past and current self into relationship with God and neighbor in a tangible and specific way. This is not the realm of thoughts and ideas. This is the realm of dishes and diapers and considering the other and of planning ahead and of asking for and offering forgiveness. Ordination works in the same mysterious realm of biting off more than we can chew and being met and being gifted all along the way. As the Puritan devotional writers often say, and it makes its way into a lot of the songs, they say, all that God asks, God's grace will provide. And thank God that you're not alone in this. Some of God's primary vehicles for grace and provision comes through the people God puts around us. A great, but also kind of mundane and kooky cloud of witnesses. This bunch of tiles on the screen is just like a representation of some of these friends and co-laborers in this good news. Your ordination is their stamp. It's our stamp. It's our yes to your ability to do this good work. And it is our yes that we want a front row seat for all the twists and turns, all of the joys and sorrows along the way. It's for this reason, your ordination sets you apart in your gifting, but it never sets you apart from a gifted community. When the resurrected Jesus ascended to be with God the Father in victory, he leaves his disciples in Ephesians 4, says he lavishes gifts, not things, but people, for the church to be united and mature and full, apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, a panoply of giftings and personalities and passions and roles. It's hard to imagine that with this sort of variety of callings that anyone is called to be a bystander or a spectator. Church, being and building up the body of Christ for the sake of the world, is then it's a team sport. It's a, it's a family exercise. So in your ministry to and with families, you won't be alone. And you will be calling on others to help and serve and grow and give in ways that you can and in ways that we can't even imagine or anticipate. Meg, your ordination is an invitation and a renewal for all of us into ministry. We join with and we follow you as you follow Jesus. And we do that in as many different ways as there are different people. Because God values and delights in that sort of diversity and is so utterly creative that we're always just trying to catch up with what is and what might be. Always examining the unwasted 
pieces of our past and present, always opening ourselves up and looking around for gifts and needs and challenges and opportunities for hope, healing, and hospitality. As Frederick Buechner has said, the place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. For you, this deep gladness has always had to do with teaching and kids. When Oak Church began, so did your imagination for how to build a beautiful worshiping community centered around kids and families. So many of us have benefited, not just parents, but certainly parents, not just kids, but certainly kids, from your vision and skill and attention. In so many ways, your work among families is kind of a, a microcosm of the church in the neighborhood, which is also a microcosm of God's capital C church throughout the world and the ages. So they're sort of like Russian nesting dolls inside of each other that leaven the whole loaf, but also embody the whole ethos. I have no idea what Oak Church would look like without Oak Kids, and I don't want to. <laughs> I look forward to the ways that these children and volunteers and families who are being discipled in this beautiful and kind way will continue to move into the world as followers of Jesus and bearers of Christ's good news. So Meg, uh, when you got back from your trip this week, you, when you showed up to your doorstep, there was a package on your front doorstep. Do you have that with you? Um, you can open that up. That's a gift from the church. That is perfect. Here. Oh. So that y'all can see. To mark this day in this moment in your ministry life and in Oak Church's life. Oak Church is gifting you this icon from an artist named Kelly Lattimore from St. Louis. It's called Our Lady of the Journey. It features Mary and Jesus depicted as an African mother and child on their journey to bring home potable drinking water. It reminded me of you, kind of for two, two reasons. First, for you and Matt's love of and concern for the people of Africa that goes back longer than I've known you, even to your college days. And also that her journey is to provide and to bring living water to her family and her village, but also to all who are thirsty as she bears Christ. This icon reminds me of Psalm 68, that God fathers the fatherless and defends the widows it's a vision in line with Ruth's bold statement to her mother-in-law, Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I think in that psalm, God's, God in his holy dwelling might be looking forward to the Revelation scene that we sung uh, with Jeff earlier. This is from Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the former heaven and the former earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw a holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of the heaven from God made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning, crying, or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making all things new. During this time of disorientation and isolation for so many, God's ability and desire to set the lonely in families is at its most needed, and when it happens, it feels like it's at its most miraculous. Thanks for leading out of that desire and that calling and that vision. May God bless you and continue to equip you by God's grace, give you everything you need, more than you need for this good, slow work in God's family. Amen.